0: Hey Magnus, buddy, you were blaming classical chess. You know who you have to blame, buddy? Yourself. You were the one who killed it, boss. What are you doing to us? You were the you were the guilty party. It's obvious. You know, it's like you're at some you're at some party and you're like, this is dull. This is a dull party. Then you leave the party and then you see some stuff on Instagram later about what was going on at the party, like, how oh, that party was great after I left, man. <laughs>
1: Well, here we go. Welcome to Dojo Talks. Today we're doing another recap of the Ding Nepomniachi World Championship match. We're actually recording this at the towards the end of round number 9. Nepo's currently trying to grind this uh, pawn up night end game. It's like two pawns versus one. Um, the guys here are thinking that it's very likely going to be a draw, so we're kind of recording this podcast with that assumption, but um, if something happens live while we're recording, we're, we're just going to deal with it. Um, but we're thinking it's going to be a draw. Current score right now is 4.5 to 3.5 in favor of Nepo. If today's game is drawn, it'll be 5-4 Nepo with Ding having um, white in, in the next game. And uh, yeah, it's been a, a very, very interesting match so far. We're just going to talk about some of the latest stuff that's happened since our, our last episode, which we recorded after um game four if you haven't heard that one you can check that out as well um so let's uh let's get into it first question to you guys actually i just want to know how much have you like been following the games um we were were talking before before we went um started recording that for me and david the games have always been over as soon as (laughs) once we're awake on the on the west coast central but how much have you guys been like following the, the stories and stuff around the match.
0: Well, as is known from the previous shows, I don't consider this a world championship match. I was originally not into watching it at all, but now I've been drawn in. Uh,
2: <laughs> I told you <laughs> you would be once, once a good game was in. played.
0: And there's been, I mean, how though is the great, there's been some great games when Ding played D5 and I was sitting there scratching my head. Why, dude, why? And then like minutes, minutes, I I don't know why, it was a long time. Time went by and then it hit me like an epiphany that it was a mating pattern. Pawn was on D5, King was over there on H8 and it was a mating pattern I was like, oh. (laughs) And I was so pumped when Ding won that game that then I was all in. I was just all in, man, that was a masterpiece. So, um, yes, I have been watching it. And I want to say, too, oftentimes I don't really like the commentary, you know, but especially when Naroditsky and uh, Anish were doing the commentary, I really loved it. I thought, you know, I was getting something out of it as a player, too,
2: which isn't always the case. Uh, so, yeah, I'm all in. Nice. So, you've seen you've seen a chunk of it live, even. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: and what's cool too, about like, let's say the broadcast is let's say you wake up and it's already an hour or so in, well, you can go back and kind of like do an instant replay and then whenever they're talking about something you don't like, you're like, ah, yeah, I'll just fast forward here a little bit. I'll go to the next phase, you know,
1: great, great. Watch that, yeah. That's what I've been doing. Yeah. I go on, um, I try to find the YouTube stream of, of the main ones and cause you can, then you can scroll back on it and then I try to watch, watch from the from the beginning, um,
0: by the way, everybody Kosi is a millennial. So he's not waking up until like 10 or 11 St. Louis time over there has to have his avocado toast before the day even gets started. So he's not watching the match. He's watching the instant replay.
1: That yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the recaps are out by the time I wake up and I'm like, all right, I'll just watch <laughs> a, a recap. I've been enjoying the, uh, the chicken chess recaps. Um, C squared has been doing really good recaps when I want like a deep dive on the game. Caruana has been analyzing um, yeah. these games for like an hour. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just like going through like all the details, like all this stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it's wild the age we live in. Um, and yeah, like the commentary has been great. Like I think Fabi took over for Giri today, but like whenever these top guys do commentary, they really, uh, they, they really wanna like do a good job. Like they're not, um, they're not like phoning it in.
2: Or maybe they're phoning it in is so good <laughs> that you can't tell because they're
1: like up there. I think with some GMs you can tell a little bit. <laughs> I yeah, wanna, okay. I don't want to <laughs> name any names, but uh, yeah. How about you, David? Guess, Are you watching any of the the broadcasts? Um. No,
2: I haven't watched anything. I just clicked through the ga- games on my own. Um, and obviously after they're done, because I'm not waking up at 2 a.m. or anything. Um, uh, so yeah, so unfortunately I'm consuming it in a sort of uh, a cheap way, you know, like I'm not giving the games their, their, their true time or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I click through all of the games and get a, a, a surface sense of what's going on and, uh, I find them all very exciting and entertaining, but my perspective on everything is a very, very low level perspective, right? Because what I mean by this is, you know, how, how much you understand something depends on the time you put into it as well as your skill level, right? So if you're, if you're a 1000 rated player and you study a game for, for six hours versus if you're 1200 and you spend 10 minutes on it, actually the 1000 is going to get much deeper into the game than the 1200. And so I'm doing sort of a, a fairly surface look. At the games. um For example, in yesterday's amazing game, I played through the whole game and I was, and I, you know, just at my sort of blah, 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 ooh, exciting, ooh, exciting, ooh, exciting kind of thing, you know. And then I went on Twitter and saw a tweet from Anon where he says, in this position, you know, he missed like an amazing inhuman win. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, it didn't even occur to me that. Nepo left his Rook hanging for a move there when I played through this game, <laughs> right? You yeah. know, that Ding could have taken it because a perpetual was threatened. Right. Like I, like I played through that phase of the game for some reason so quickly. I didn't even notice a Rook was hanging. Right. So it's, so it means like I might be 2,400, but I'm appreciating the game. Like, like somebody who needs their maiden twos or something, right? Sub a thousand level. Cause I didn't see that the Rook was, was hanging for a move so that really like colors i think the the time you spend on it really colors how well you appreciate and know it and it makes me even less qualified than ever to have any opinions on what's going on but i'm still enjoying it you know so you don't have to be good to enjoy it right
1: yeah that was such a critical moment um i'm going to move us to kind of our first topic which is a question people have been asking is this the best match in in recent history Um, poor Magnus, he, he gave up the title and then the very next match is like the most exciting, right. That we have like had in, in a while in terms of like just general fan interest, that might be because we have recently experienced huge chess booms. And there's a lot of new people just following chess for the first time. Um, but it definitely feels like people have really gotten into, into the match, which is, um, very, very cool to see. Um, it, so it definitely feels like this is the most exciting one. I mean, in terms of like decisive games, there's, there, there's no question if, that, if that's the, like the major metric for, which for many people it, it is going to be, whether a match is exciting, then like draw agreed. Oh, draw agreed. Okay. It's good to know. Um, but, uh, yeah. Is this also, let's say like the best match in, in recent history? What do you guys think?
2: Um, we would have to define your word best, but... Oh, I'll define on, it. Okay. <laughs> but on your Let me just say something about your word exciting, then Jesse can define yeah. best for us. There, there are two things that make chess games... Well, there's a couple things that make chess games exciting, but one really important component in chess games being exciting is not knowing who's going to win. So the same holds for a full match, right? Like a full match is more interesting if you don't know who's going to win. And having two players who are really, really close in strength, right? Where it's not so obvious who's better is obviously going to make things more exciting than having a heavy favorite, like when Magnus plays. So right there, removing Magnus obviously makes things more exciting. If Magnus played Nepo again, you would sort of know who was going to win the match and that would remove much of the drama. All right, Jesse, tell us about best. Okay, so it's first
0: of all, I still regard it as an exhibition match. I got to put it out there. But the reasons it's the most exciting match in, really, if you think about just world championship matches, especially, well, in my lifetime, it's the most, it's the most exciting, if, you know, going back to Fischer Spassky in the sense that a couple things are happening. One, we, one of the things this is highlighting, first of all, we got to say is how Magnus being a machine, the machine that he is, took out a lot of the flavor and spice of both chess and classical chess. So for example, Magnus had a huge team which basically ended 1e4 from Nepo. Just cut it out. Boom, you're done Nepo, right? Magnus also as a chess player, doesn't really have any obvious weaknesses. Both of these guys have obvious weaknesses that even a chump GM like me can diagnose, right? So the weaknesses are part of the storyline and are part of the match. And it's like, oh no, which weakness is going to be more important in the long run, you know? Which weakness is going to show it? So there's like this element where Magnus keep was always playing the percentages. And that's what the professional would do, right? I'm not going to give you any love as either white or black and it's going to be a grind i'm going to take it to the grinding positions because i know you're terrible at those just going to wreck you and he annihilated nepo i mean it was just annihilation so then we come here and oh dude ding is playing like he's going for it and and nepo is taking on the challenge right this last game they had yesterday where they play this nimzo with rook a2 Oh, I'll tell you, my friends, it doesn't get any spicier than that. <laughs> no, I'm gonna go ahead and say, in terms of world championship prep, that is the spiciest that has ever been played in a world championship match. <laughs> now, I, I, yeah, I'm willing to be wrong in that. People can throw other games at me, but that was spicy. That was pure spice. Uh, and so, yeah, obviously, and what what is that part of? Part of it is the influence of rapport on the match right? That guy's insane. And he's influencing him being not only in the prep, but like, imagine you hang out and get locked in a room with rapport for a couple of days. You're going to come out a different person, my friend. <laughs> You're not going to be the same person after that. He's going to change you. you
1: That's know? very interesting. Yeah. Because Richie, he is known for like these like weird opening ideas, but I noticed in a lot of games, like they actually work out. He gets a strategically like winning position, but okay. Then the game gets complicated. There's tactics like He doesn't always win. So if you take like his creative ideas, you give it to, uh, let's say slightly stronger player, ding, who can actually like crush some of these positions. Like it's actually a very, very interesting combo. Um, so Mm -hmm. their, their partnership has definitely been one of the, the highlights of, (laughs) of the match. Yeah, for Um, sure, man. Wait, so Jesse, did you, so you're saying it's the most exciting since Fischer Spassky, but does that mean it's also the best?
2: He yeah, says it's the most it's exciting it's world championship match, because but it's not a world championship. It's match.
0: not a world championship match, but just in terms of like um, the storylines and the games, absolutely, these games are amazing, man. These games are absolutely stunning. Everyone's fighting chess. It doesn't look like the whole thing with the world championship matches. And let's just say, this is the hilarious thing about Magnus. Hey, Magnus, buddy, you were blaming classical chess. You know who you have to blame, buddy? Yourself you were the one who killed it you were the one who killed it boss what are you doing to us you were the you were the guilty party it's obvious you know it's like you're at some you're at some party and you're like this is dull this is a dull party then you leave the party and then you see some stuff on instagram later about what was going on at the party like how that party was great after i left man (laughs) that's what's going on in this match dude
1: yeah but don't you think that's just because he's just like raising the level of his opponents his match against nepo according to the computers was like the most accurate world championship match of all time all of his matches have been the most accurate world championship match of all time right they just keep getting more and more accurate right so can we really blame magnus for like raising the level to the point where you now get like 12 draws in a match right or a bunch of draws
0: no but hold on magnus was the one
1: Who said that the world championship match and the classical
0: time control is boring. People aren't interested in it. Right. Okay. So (laughs) Magnus buddy, you're the one who dried it up. Do I blame you for drying it up? That's what you're asking. No, I don't blame him for drying it up. He was trying to win. He's trying to win, but if you dry it up, don't blame the classical chess for being boring when you were the one who dried it up boss. Right. But and
2: he, you look at him, just because he's boy. so good. <laughs> <laughs> for he him, doesn't for make him it is he boring because he's like so much this. better at yeah.
0: <laughs> You know, and he is great at playing spicy chess. Don't get me wrong. Magnus yeah. can do it. It's just that he knows that from a statistical standpoint, if you just take all those positions off the board, that he is, if you dry it up, he, that he is going to outplay you. Right.
2: Yeah. Let me just say like, clearly if Magnus were in this match playing all these spicy openings with them, m- most likely he would beat them by an even bigger margin Yeah. than when he's drying up every single game yeah, with yeah. black and just trying to grind it out most likely. But there is that small percent chance and that's the part where you have to be professional, right? There's a yeah. small percent chance that he like takes a pop here and there. Yeah. Right. And then the match is in question. So as Jesse says, he's taking the professional approach, playing the statistics. He's going for, you know, a 99% chance of winning by at least one point instead of an 85% chance of winning by five points or something, you know? So he's not getting into
1: all these crazy games. I I do appreciate what Jesse is saying, but we do have to give Magnus some credit. Like in the previous match against Caruana, he went completely the other direction, right? He specifically, like he went from playing the Berlin and being super super uh uh solid to now playing like the sveshnikov ross limo all these like crazy sharp positions but for the same reason that you mentioned i think again he was playing the odds he was like this is the best like opening for this match and these are the positions i want to play but uh to his credit i mean the, those were like some of the i, I think those games were, were fascinating and then the next magnus for the you know next couple of years when he was playing the sveshnikov was like to me that's that's one of the the best phases of magnus ever just like mm-hmm. just yeah. oh yeah everyone
2: player. wishes that he would just go around playing the sicilian everybody <laughs> <laughs> the fans his opponents everyone <laughs> uh well,
1: yeah somehow it always ends up coming back to magnus huh somehow <laughs> let, yeah, me, go, we, but we let me do
2: a whole show on ding nepo without mentioning ding or nepo <laughs> <laughs> but but let's talk about why this is a fascinating match i think it has to do with
0: the weaknesses of both players and i Said it before, and it's only become clear, you know, since the match has progressed. So both have, both players have weaknesses. Uh, Nepo makes impulsive decisions. And in some ways, this works to his favor, or can work in his favor, where he doesn't have the level of system to ability to th- really think deeply like Ding does. So he will make an intuitive move without calculating. it. Against Magnus, we saw he's just getting crushed. He got smashed so many times when he made some intuitive move without thinking it through. So that's his weakness. It's obvious. It comes to hurt him all the time. And then ding, psychological frailty, my friends. Oh, the game he lost as black in the French. I just, I, I, I was weeping. I mean, he played such a nice game. He was tanking even in the right spots. And then he just froze, dude. He just froze and threw it all away in a position like no way you can lose this position, no way, and he's just tanking, and it's all over. Like the match is, it probably, you know, the match isn't over yet, but probably that's where the match was decided. If if it goes against Dig that game, so you can see now like that the psychological issues he's having uh, versus Nepo's uh, impulsiveness. It's just. like two psychological two frailties that magnus doesn't have and that's making the match interesting by the way even on a human on a human level it's fascinating to watch and then rapport has got his own issues man and then those guys go bro it down afterwards in this like nerd bromance thing fantastic dude and our bro mike klein is there taking pictures of them holding hands after the end and stuff great man what a story i love it dude that's fantastic
1: okay yeah speaking of the bromance um obviously you guys heard about the prep leak i think most people um most people did so i won't recap it too much um
2: have you told us before you move to the next topic have you told us if you think this is the best match yeah Like you said it's exciting but is it the best is that is there any definition of best other than
1: excitement for me it's definitely the best in terms of fan interest which i do think is important I know kind of, oh, that's what you're on. <laughs> it was kind of a sensitive issue last time but yeah no to me it's really cool that people are like getting into the games that you know people that were like essentially watching like you know pog champs a couple of years ago would be watching the equivalent of now are like actually watching the world championship match and i feel like chess.com and all these other broadcasts are actually doing a great job of bringing people in and like showing them like the stress and the pressure. Of like an OTB game, and how like these like long drawn out games are actually the epic struggles that lead people to fall in love with chess. So mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. been very cool how there's been a ton of new people that are like now super into- also like Levy. All the people doing like recaps on the match, uh, mm-hmm. like I think they're doing a great job just just like supporting and getting people uh, getting people into it. Um, in fact, these new fans. We're so into it, they're like disappointed to hear that a lot of like traditional chess people are like not calling it a real match. Just the fact that like we were even entertaining that, you know, this isn't like a real world championship match or whatever. Uh, we still have all of our opinions on that, but just the fact that we are entertaining that question is like disappointing to some people. Cause they're like, how could you not be into it? Right. It's like, so to me, that's actually very, very cool that people are that invested.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, me personally, I don't see a clear clear criterion for what is the best match, um, like even a criterion that everyone would agree on. Like for you, audience engagement. I mean, that just sort of like depends on time, right? I mean, in two more years, there will be even more people playing and watching chess. I hope so. So would that automatically make it the best match? Um, in terms of quality, I think the you know the Magnus matches are probably better. And if I had hours and hours to deep dive into the games, you know, maybe I would learn more from the Magnus games. So I, I don't, me personally, I don't have an answer to this question of what's the best match, you know, for my current, like for me, it would be a better match if they were playing during the day instead of in the middle of the night. Me. I mean, <laughs> but given the time I have, it's, it's very fun to see a bunch of decisive games and a bunch of rich positions um, and obviously the players switching openings from game to game. Adds interest for me personally.
0: You know, and one thing we've talked about as a trend, we were talking about this in our chess boom episode, but something that I'm observing that we talked about there, it's happening is, you know, actually I'll, I'll reference uh, David. You were on a podcast recently with Daniel Lona. Great thing. I was just started listening to you today. And there you mentioned that back in the day, we used to have a chess hierarchy, you know, like if you were a lower rated player, you wouldn't even kind of dare to talk. To a higher-rated player, so true. it was a real thing. And now, what we really experience with the match and the computer, the ability for everybody to see, like, oh, he blew it on that move, bar went down. Now, I'm definitely not a fan. If you want to learn chess, of using the engine, but as people just watching it, what it makes it democratizes the whole thing. And now on Twitter, you get all kinds of people being like, you know, some some like 900 being like. Dings was what a chump, man. He missed the win. What's wrong with him? (laughs) And it's hilarious, but they feel it. And it allows them to participate in the match in a way that they couldn't have before, right? They would have been hierarchically squeezed out of the conversation. And now everybody is just like, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's just enjoy the ride. It's changing chess. It's great.
1: Yeah. Sometimes people talk about like chess elitism and stuff like that. But yeah, in the past, You couldn't even make eye contact with a grandmaster without worrying that they were gonna like scowl at you. (laughs) Like, are you looking at me for it? (laughs) It's like you had to like walking on eggshells around uh, higher rated players. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, those were fun days. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Anyways, but to the league, I don't think it was that bad. It's definitely worse than Bobby's league. Um, Fabi's leak was just like a couple pictures, and even back then, you had people saying, "Oh, Fabi's done. The pictures of the positions will destroy him." Um, this one was far more interesting. I'd say, uh, actually, talk about the, the, the match stories. Like the the guy who found the leak is actually he's with us in Dojo in some capacity, right? Yeah, the shout coast.
1: out to, to Ludwig uh, the yeah, on, on Reddit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he, this guy, did some deep dive. He did some deep, deep dive to find like the games people were playing with H3. It was like some fifteen people rated 1500s going down dark roads with H3 and other stuff. All openings that we'd then seen. Um, and I gotta say, like in our last podcast, I made fun of H3. I think Kosi did too, but then just the very fact that those guys were like playing practice games with H3, man, I was like, what? What are you doing, boss? Uh, hello, so they were I still sparring.
1: Don't... Jesse, they, they were, were sparring, sparring yes. which that's is a right. core yeah. principle of the dojo training program. Let me just that's say right. that proves yes. all of all of our theories, right? That's how you yeah. like, that's the best way to learn a new opening. I mean, I just wanted to make that, that quick point. It's like even the top guys, yeah. like they understand you got to spar these positions out to get a sense and, and feeling for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, um, so anyways, I, still,
0: <laughs> I, I still don't understand H3 boss. <laughs> but, anyways, like that wasn't that's an amazing story and uh, psychologically
2: may be damaging, but I don't think it's that bad. I mean, does the leak include a lot of sparring in other positions that haven't come up
1: yet? There's Not two things, there's a couple things. Yeah. Apparently, there were hundreds games. of games. Yeah, but like there was some Night Earth games, for example, where I think um uh well I mean i d I don't know if anyone if anyone made it clear like who was white and who was black in those games. Presumably Ding was playing the white side of four H three. Um, but um, yeah, there was like Night Earth games. There was also this line C four E five in English where all the knights come out mm-hmm. and then White plays right. Queen C two on move four instead of right. like G three or something. So that was definitely <laughs> possible surprise weapon. There was some stuff. Um, I think more with like the Fabi leak, I think the bigger thing is just how much it affects Ding, because it could be something where maybe you just feel like so embarrassed and it's just like crushing you and then that could affect your play from a chess perspective. I feel like it, it doesn't matter you. Always just figure it out. They're just going to prep a new thing. He he'll be fine. Right. But it's like, yeah, I guess it's just like, how bad does it, does it make you feel that that you made a mistake like that? Right. You know? Um, but man, so funny that they have this like bromance and then it's like this leak happens. They're like playing like these games, <laughs> just like, Oh God. <laughs> Did you guys consult anyone during the preparation? <laughs> Literally just, just the two of you, <laughs> just the two of them.
2: That like would be big in, big in the Ravford, smallest yeah. team in world championship history for the last, you know, 40, 50 years.
0: But we got to say, like, Ding has never had a team. The guy's always been working alone. This is like the one friend he's ever had, which is like, oh, this is why the bromance is even cooler,
2: you know? Yeah. So Um, it's first love, Jesse. Yeah.
1: First Jess love. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let me move us on then um, to the next topic. I think we touched on this a little bit in terms of. Why are there so many decisive games? Jesse mentioned both these players have clear weaknesses that have become apparent or, or being exploited during the match, and they're both they're both kind of losing games that that they wouldn't necessarily be losing if they were in their in their best form. Um, which to me makes makes sense. There's also of course just the added pressure of it being a world championship match. It's also just a weird situation. I don't know if maybe people have thought about this, but like normally at a tournament. you're not the only game on the stage, right? That's like a very unique experience. Um, And Nepo, I know he's played like matches before. I remember he played this like match with Undraken many years ago. Um, So he's had like some experience, um, but still it's like, it's weird. It's like, it's the only game, you know, everyone's watching, you know, everyone's going to be like tweeting and posting about the game. If you make a mistake or blunder, like it's just going to be everywhere. It's going to be in all the books forever right i feel like there is this very like very much added pressure of it being of it being a match um for the uh for the title i know jesse doesn't think it's for the title but these these guys i think they do think it's for the title
2: (laughs) i mean it certainly matters to them because like whoever wins is even going to play the next world championship match like they
1: yeah
2: they understand it puts them in a certain situation to win this thing but um but i don't think the pressure would be the main reason that there's a lot of decisive Results, I would think the main reason is actually confidence. I think each of them believes they can beat the other person. So when they're playing the game, they're trying to win (laughs) instead of trying to draw. It's interesting. And I think what, what, one of the things that really kills modern classical chess (laughs) other than Magnus's skill level is the fact that you've got like heaps of people trying to kill the game, you know, like. Imagine you're a 2,700 trying to beat a 2,700 if they're trying to draw the game versus if they're trying to beat you, it's a whole different ball game and your chances of winning drop by tens and tens of percentages if they're trying to draw. Or let's say if they're like completely happy to draw. And like, I would also point to the opening choices as being one of the major reasons you have so many decisive results, but then the reason for the opening choices comes back to my previous reason, which is they believe they can win. Right? So the way the openings are creating more decisive results is they're playing different openings, right? If you play the same opening, every single game, then the computer prep goes deeper down and you get more dialed in and you've got sparring games in already, even within the match, (laughs) much less, you know, you go home and maybe spar it a couple extra times in some blitz games to make sure you've got the ideas down. Um, and then it just gets harder and harder to beat you in that position, right? Like the chances of beating you from 10% to 8% to 6% to 4% to 2% as you get like really dialed in on it. The, but the reason they're playing all these different openings is because they believe they can beat the other person because nobody's like, oh, now I just have to kill the match and like try and draw a bunch.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. That's No, I, I think there might be something to that because um, you also get, I would argue, a similar situation when... You do have a low rate of player, but in, they're in a must-win situation. So they kind of have this they kind of get this confidence just by default, because like they have to win the game. So it's like they're, they're much more willing to push to push a lot harder. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. All right, final predictions. Okay.
0: All right, I'll go first. Your thing buddy, let's bring it, man. You've been playing the best chess. Clearly, you are the better chess player, okay? Your opponent, psychologically stronger than you, not chess-wise stronger. So I got it. I'm rooting for you, buddy, even though it, you know, if, if we were betting, it would be hard to bet on you here at this point. Okay? But I'm rooting for you, man. I'm rooting for you, strong. I'm all, I, I, I believe in chess talent. I enjoy chess talent. When I see a move like D5, man. That's I'm ready. I'm all in buddy. So Dan, you gotta bring it through boss. That's
1: my final word here. Okay, less of a prediction, more of a plea, but uh, I think we'll, yeah. we'll take it. <laughs> what do you think David?
2: I think, I think that Jesse was predicting Nepo's win there oh, by see. sort of like <laughs> pleading, right? It shows that like, if he thought it was just gonna happen, he wouldn't plead, right? So I think, I think Jesse thinks that, uh, that uh, ding is behind by five or ten percent chances in the match right now and i would agree with that um i think nepo's got a small percent chance of taking the match um you know it's not down to like oh there's three games left and this many whites or that kind of thing just yet but you know a point is a point and unlike jesse i think that um that nepo has played slightly better than ding so far <laughs> sorry jesse I know it's going to hurt to hear that, but, you know, to me, there'd have to be some really, really obviously glaring ways of explaining away why you've got less points than someone and we're still playing better than them somehow. That's, it's a very hard argument to make. Um, The proof is often just in the points. And so I think Nepo has been, you know, edging ahead slightly. Um, And... uh, yeah. I mean, I hope there's still a couple more wins back and forth because I'm enjoying it. I hope that uh, Nepo doesn't try and, like, shut it down. But, like, I mean, it could be interesting to see him try. He um, didn't try I... to shut
0: it down today, so that was interesting. Yeah, um, yeah And, yeah, coast yeah. i, I got to ask you something, actually. Since we had our last podcast, a new word was added to the lexicon of the human language. And I think, I want to ask you, did you create this word? The word is, to Nepo-ding, which is to
1: flip-flop on your predictions <laughs>
0: If not, who's ahead in the match. Did you create that thing,
1: man? Uh, yes, Jesse. Thank you for for mentioning that. That is my word. I came up with it <laughs> on my my morning walk here in St. Louis, which often draws <laughs> inspiration. And yeah, yeah no. sir, and Anish Giri really enjoyed the word. He, he tweeted yeah. it. That was that was nice of him. Um, yeah, yeah. Everyone's been. I don't know how to use the word exactly, but yeah, everyone's been nepoting about the match. <laughs> You'd have to say nepoting, wouldn't you? Nepotinging, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I, it's, I was thinking about. It. I'm I'm not a linguist. Okay. I just I am just more of an ideas person. Um, but I came up with a second word. I don't know if you guys saw it, but uh, uh, Ding Nepo, which is when a match is just like it, when both players are like trading back and forth. You know, like blows back and forth. Uh-huh, These guys okay. are just winning so many decisive games in a row. I mean, it's crazy. I thought we w- we might not get a draw at all. They were just going to keep winning back and forth. Yeah. Until <laughs> someone just yeah. uh,
2: and it didn't have collapsed. to be a draw yesterday, right? I mean, that it game was very was close, A very bloody oh, game. Yeah. It, it was very. Let me just say, Things I've never be... changed my prediction. I have not nepo dinged a single time here. Yeah, no, that's I, fine. I, 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 I've always said nepo has a small edge.
1: <laughs> um, I've, I flip flopped a bit. I. I first said Nepo, then I thought it was 50, 50. Now I think it's, it's back to Nepo Look, predictions are silly. Okay. We're just saying like, what seems st- statistically reasonable right now. It seems like Nepo is a bit more likely to win the match. doesn't mean he's hundred percent going to win, right? If you have a, a die with 10 sides and you're like, what are the odds that it's going to come up one through six, it's 60%, right? That doesn't mean it's always going to come up like that. If you only roll it once. That's how probabilities work. So sometimes predictions don't work out, but right now it feels like Nepo's, uh, Nepo's leading. But um, yeah, I feel like the chess world has already kind of won, so it doesn't uh, you know, fully even matter at this point who, who ends up... Like I think both scenarios are fine. Both outcomes are good. Both players would make great FIDE world champions.
2: The dream would be for them to just keep playing the second half of the match the way they played the first half. That would be the dream. Just no holds barred. Just keep going for it.
1: Yeah. Or for like, for them to postpone the match, something happens, then they got to postpone it for a year, play like a second match.
2: (laughs) Oh, you can't get enough already.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. Um, they should do a world championship match every year with the two best players, I don't know, um, (laughs) I think that's, that's going to do it for uh the recap we'll be back I think after the match is over for maybe a last closing recap but uh yeah that's gonna do it thanks for thanks for listening folks